Listen, all you New Yorkers. Hello. I hope no one's eating dinner. Something like that. What's up, everybody? It's 10 o'clock on Monday night, which means it's time for the next best thing. Dear Jesus. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Well, get ready. Don't go anywhere. We have a great, 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 great show lined up for you tonight. I can't even contain myself. But before we get to any of that, we'd like to kick the show off by doing what we always do, and that is review all of the great and the not-so-great things that have happened on... This Day in History. Today is May 1st, and on this day in history, in 1486, Christopher Columbus convinced Queen Isabella to fund an expedition to the West Indies. On this day in 1707, England, Wales, and Scotland were united to form Great Britain. On this day in 1805, the state of Virginia passed a law requiring all freed slaves to leave the state or risk either imprisonment or deportation. That's, that's wonderful. Virginians, you should be proud. On this day in 1922, Charlie Robertson of the Chicago White Sox pitched a perfect game in which the Detroit Tigers had no hits and scored no runs. Sound familiar, Royals fans? Another perfect game didn't come along until 46 years later. On this day in 1927, Adolf Hitler held his first Nazi meeting in Berlin. On this day in 1931, the Empire State Building in New York was dedicated and opened. It was 102 stories tall and was the tallest building in the world at the time. On this very day in 1948, the People's Democratic Republic of Korea, better known as Hell, oh, I mean North Korea, was proclaimed. On this day in 1952, production of Mr. Potato Heads began. On this day in 1961, Fidel Castro announced there would be no more elections in Cuba, ever. Delightful. On this day in 1971, Amtrak went into service. It was established by Congress to run the nation's intercity railroads. On this day in 1999, on Mount Everest, a group of U.S. mountain climbers discovered the body of George Mallory. Mallory had died in June of 1924 while trying to become the first person to reach the summit of Everest. And last but not least, on this day in 2011, President Barack Obama announced that U.S. soldiers had killed Satan. Oh, I mean Osama bin Laden in Pakistan. Now that really is a moment and a day when people do remember where they were. I was sitting in a coffee shop right here in New York City, watching his speech on my laptop. Very eventful. These This Day in Histories are way too long. That's what happened on This Day in History. And who knows, perhaps we'll make history right here tonight on Radio Free Brooklyn and be studied for years to come. But who are we kidding? Probably not. You're listening to the next best thing. Stay tuned. Oh, yeah.
Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No, but it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho, it's been a week. It's been a busy week. It's been a crazy week. I feel like I say that every week because I feel like that's true every week. Before we get into what's going on in the news, what's going on in the world, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. If at any point throughout the broadcast you hear an item you would like to discuss or feel there's a tidbit that you could contribute to the show, by all means, feel free to call in. The call-in number is 718-928-9732. Again, that's 718-928-9RFB-9732. Or if you don't want to be heard on the air because you're a little bashful, no problem, you can tweet at us. We are at NextBestRadio. That's at NextBestRadio. Or go ahead and like us on Facebook, follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode, information, links to pertinent sites, all that stuff usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write it's more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall. You can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something-something to keep us in business. If you like what you hear tonight, well, a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that. Uh, if you feel so inclined, you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt. Again, that's rfb.nyc slash nbt. And the last thing I'll tell you before we get on to the important cool stuff is that all episodes of The Next Best Thing are now available on iTunes as podcasts. Holy crap, that is huge news. It actually happened weeks ago, but every time I say it, I just get a little excited because it's huge. I'm so freaking excited! If you ever miss an episode of The Next Best Thing, which, come on, let's be honest, you miss most of them, uh, you can go to the iTunes store or check the podcast app on your iPhone. Just type in the next best thing, click on our logo, which I trust you know, and there you will find literally all of the past episodes. You'll see the title, so you can pick and choose which ones pique your interest, or which ones just simply sound the most bearable. Listen to those, and if you have a few minutes, rate us, review us, tell a friend, tell a relative, tell an enemy, do whatever you gotta do to spread the word, because the word of mouth is how we grow. Oh, man, that was exhausting, wasn't it? It was for me. I'm sure it was for you, too. So, that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. Okay, so, as promised, for at least a week and a half, I'm sitting here now with the Gregory brother. Evan is the eldest Gregory of the Gregory brothers, most famous for Auto-Tune the News originally, Songify the News, now just Songify, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, um, and whatever it, you like to call it, 
really brings me so much pleasure. So really? yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Thanks for being here. Uh, we were just talking about Evan now has three children and has braved uh, the Bushwick area to get here. He was enjoying a cookout right before we came into the studio. He's a busy guy, has cookouts and children and a band. <laughs> I uh, thought of it as a welcoming party, really, the cookout on your front door. I should have, yeah, I should have played it up that way. I, I planned that for you. All right, I want to talk a little bit about your guys' background, just because all the interviews I could find of you guys were pretty condensed, you know, like, and therefore a lot of them only asked the same questions, except for one hilarious one that was on C-SPAN. Yes, oh, I'm so glad you caught that. Well, it's very informative, but it was pretty hilarious because it was really early on in your guys' public life, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we were interviewed by a guy named Brian Lamb, He's the founder, like, st- he started C-SPAN. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so that's a big deal. And in, and in our eyes, who we spend more hours than, say, that the average guy delving through the archives of C-SPAN, this was a man to be revered. And, and that he would invite us into the interview studio was uh, somewhat intimidating. And, and then we proceeded to chat for maybe an hour. And I think... He, he just has an extremely dry sense of humor in that he already loved our videos and just proceeded to set us up to, to talk about right. them. Right. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's, I'm glad to hear that because the first question he asked was, now, if someone had no idea who you were or what you did, how would you explain it? And to my mind, I was thinking, is he really saying, I don't know who you are or what you do, but yes. tell me. Yes, exactly. But, but you're right. No, he did play into your guys's sense of humor you know he like went along with everything but it was just funny the disparity between i mean it's c-span you look you watch it to see a specific like congressional hearing or something if that you know so seeing you guys on there who were just now putting up like viral videos and then there's a whole guy who started c-span plus even the intro graphics were very like educational video it just was it was <laughs> that's, funny. The, that's the nature of c-span right exactly i Did think they... brian lamb in, in, a, in a way god bless him is is just by physical appearance sort of the embodiment of the essence of c-span in, in, incredibly dry uh somewhat boring looking kind of white and and pasty kind of white, yeah and uh but he, he was already an expert on our videos was really delighted by them so when, when he posed that question how would you explain your videos to someone who's never seen them? What he was doing was correctly assuming that no one in his television right. audience would have ever seen True. them, even though we've watched all of his stuff. Right. Well, you, yeah, you guys were probably the only ones who had seen all of his stuff. But to back up a little further, you guys are from Radford, Virginia. Yeah, that's right. Me and my two brothers. Right. Grew so, up in yeah. So the Gregory brothers are comprised of Evan, his younger brother, Andrew, and their youngest brother, Michael, as well as Sarah, Evan's wife. That's correct. Now, I know, okay, so obviously, actually my first question, and I have always wondered this, are there any other Gregory sisters, or is there like a forgotten Gregory brother? <laughs> or was it just the three of you growing up? It was just the three of us. Okay, so good. 100% of the three brothers now work together in Brooklyn making videos. I worry there might be like a Cooper Manning child. You know who I'm, you want to mention? Sure, yes. yeah. Or even an Archie Manning, who was an almost great, then injured or something. Right, but at least he got to play. I think Cooper got hurt like in high school and now does like runs the business affairs of his younger brothers. Right. Sad. A little, a little sad, but he's happy and he's supportive, so that's good. <laughs> um, so you're the oldest, and you, both you and Andrew went to Swarthmore College. Yeah, that's right. Now, do you guys have like a special connection? There? It's a small liberal arts college in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. 
Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, how did Andrew end up there? Basically, is, is is sort of what you're asking. I think I went there and I'd had a really good experience, and and he was able to come up and visit, and uh, you kind of get attuned to a place like, oh, I have the same outlook as a lot of the people that my older brother Evan's friends are hanging out with. I think was kind of the way he he felt. Um, Andrew and I are totally divergent in our academic interests. Couldn't be more different. But you could see how we were brothers in that everything outside of class we wanted to do together. And we did the same things, played the same sports and oh. uh, sang and did music all the time and, and stuff like that. So when he saw my friends, he was like, this is the stuff I want to do. Um, and so I think it just clicked with him that way. Well, that actually is a perfect segue. So you guys, you're all three years apart. That's so right, yeah. six years between you and Michael. So to me, that implied that you and, well, you and Andrew actually went to the same college. You also were in high school at least for one year together. Yeah. Now, Michael never crossed over in any of those years. You were never in school together. That right? We didn't overlap, yeah. Uh, how did you guys, did that, because you guys were a band way before you became known for your YouTube videos. Right. right? I mean, you yeah, so now we're known primarily for... Uh, YouTube videos, and it started with Auto-Tune the News and then blossomed into these right. other things. Um, and we've been doing it now for s seven, eight years. But the, the first time that we really collaborated together was as a very conventional band, just touring around and playing original music. And, and how long ago was that? Like, how old were you guys? Um, well, we were all ad adults. I guess we, we put together a tour right as Michael was graduating from college. It, okay. was, it was really Andrew had moved up to New York where I already was, and we played together a little bit. Mm -hmm. But he really had his own kind of career as a solo singer-songwriter. And it, it was really more of that. He was driving the tour in terms of like ha having a reason to put together a band at all. He, he had written an album and was working on that. And I was more like, oh, I think we could arrange this so that a, a, a band could play it. Um, you know, Different pieces came together. Michael was really the last piece to come together so that we would have a quartet. Michael, so Andrew, me, and... Sarah, who independently, uh, she's a wonderful singer and had her own uh, album in process at the time. So what started as a, tool, a tour where Sarah was like the supporting act for the Gregory Brothers, w who were primarily playing Andrew's songs, it started as like a duo tour. We'd go and like open for one another. And by the end of the tour, we did maybe 50 dates over three months or something like that. Gotcha. And by the end of it, we were really just one band, just just switching instruments halfway through the the set. And ah. that was sort of like how we learned to work together and saw that oh, Sarah can collaborate with us as easily or maybe better than we can collaborate with each other. So you met, so Sarah originally was like your opening act. Did you know, were you guys dating before? Or yeah, you... yeah. We were, we had kind of started dating gotcha. around that time and that's kind of how it got connected. Did you guys, but so you must have always gotten along. As you said, you and Andrew played the same sports and a lot of the same friends, but including Michael Regar was pretty close your family uh yeah absolutely i mean we we had plenty of sibling sibling rivalry and, sure. and uh childhood pummeling but we we also got along now to i think it would be a, a pretense just to, to say that we were like always musically collaborating too because there's kind of too much distance between us age-wise right. um you know it's a 16 year old can't really do it with a 10 year old but um but but as we kind of matured and got into college we saw that our tastes were still kind of the same and we hadn't all gone off into our own musical cliques we really could still speak the same musical language hmm. um and then it was as we were like becoming adults and coming out of college that we, we really each independently decided we were going to pursue music in different ways 
I was playing in bands nights and weekends while I had like a computer job. Andrew was trying to be a singer songwriter, basically. Michael studied um, recording. recording and production and was and was working in studios, kind of on the, he was on like the industry side. Oh, cool! And then all those things kind of came together. I, I think we never would have imagined. Oh, we're going to make a career on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, you you couldn't even imagine a, a like career five years such ago. as that, right? right. Exactly. Um, but it, as it happened, our strengths came together to kind of w work well in that regard. I, I have some technology in my background. Michael does recording and production. Andrew's like really prolific writer, and so those things all help. What was your major at Swarthmore? I double majored in computer science and music. Okay. Literally. Not in a way that it was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be doing computer music, but just be basically because I couldn't make up my mind. And I was right. studying like classical theory over here and uh -huh. then completely separately was programming. Yeah, no, that's interesting because that's because I think a lot of your songs, especially like when I will play songs of your guy of yours, just the songs. So without the video, sure. um, if I play them for friends of mine who like music like anyone does, but don't, you know really know the ins and outs or something they'll just hear them and be like oh yeah those are funny or something but when you guys take a song like when these happy sad songs and you take songs that are really upbeat and peppy and you make them dramatic and sad that's not that's really not that easy i mean like in music so this is towards the end but we'll cut right to it uh in music <laughs> school i used to be assigned to do stuff like that take a piece of music and change the style or put take it from major to minor oh, cool and it takes a lot of work i mean really it's not just okay so we'll just do it you know, yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah, or can you? Some people can do that. Well, what we like to what we like to pretend is that you can take an existing song that's say in a major key, mm -hmm. and therefore we we sort of make the facile assumption that it's happy. That doesn't have to right. be true, but we pretend like it is. Like major corresponds directly to happy, <laughs> and so then we pretend like you can just change that song into a minor key by basically running through a math equation. Like a few of these notes are going to change and then you have a minor key song, and then that magically turns it sad. But, of course, we do the math equation of taking certain notes and you move them down a half step, and you, the result is this melody in a minor key. But then we also spend all this time figuring out, okay, how can we also tweak the genre right. and and reperform it in a way that, like, re-embodies the song in a Totally different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you... Okay, so I have four siblings, and I don't think I could successfully work and like a really work with any of them even the ones i'm closest to you guys being in a band together is one thing but working full time is another how do you what do you think the biggest advantages and potential pitfalls are and how have you guys made it work so well um man, well there's a dissertation to be written somewhere uh by an ambitious psychologist I, I, there's so many advantages to working with uh your brothers in terms of like this shared history where we have just so many uh, memories and references and idioms at our disposal that we can use as a jumping-off point for new projects, or writing, or jokes, or 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 whatever. I, I see it as a big creative uh, advantage. There's this big overlap in our Venn diagrams that we can just kind of live in. Um, now there are these huge cons too, in terms of just how quickly we are able to get on each other's nerves, and and how how low the barrier is to like getting into conflict or um our personalities are the passive aggressive type in in terms of um what type of conflicts arise it's, it's it's more about us burying stuff and then not getting things done because we don't want to talk about issues rather than shouting matches 
Um, but the shared history kind of cuts both ways mm -hmm. in, in that sense. So you guys don't, there aren't any big blow up fights usually. Uh, y usually that's correct. <laughs> they, they have happened when something really boils to the surface. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I can imagine your parents are both educators. Mm -hmm. Uh, were they always encouraging and supportive of you guys pursuing, you know, creative endeavors? Did you, did you have a lot of various creative endeavors like growing up? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. They were, yeah, they were really supportive. I, I, um, I, I shudder to think like what they were really thinking of, about the future of their three children, if everyone was going to pursue the arts. But, um, I think because we were all good students, they weren't necessarily worried about where we, we were going to end up. And so they certainly encouraged us to do all sorts of music and, um, I mean, the the most random types of pursuits, uh, you know, I was on the math team, Andrew was doing, um, like Odyssey, the mind type building stuff and writing plays and who, wow. you know, who, who knows what else he wrote plays. Does yeah. He, does he still do that stuff? I mean, is he a writer just without the music part? No, I mean, his energy now goes into goes into songwriting primarily. Yeah. Um, did you did you guys play any sports? I mean, actually, what I'm really wondering is, did you because I know you guys obviously have been a band and you perform in concert and stuff. Did you guys do any like theater work performing on the stage? Yeah. <laughs> Where you would perform in the theater? Yeah, a bit. I mean, it's uh, it sounds it sounds so self-aggrandizing to be, to be like, yes, I have performed on the theater. Okay, wait, it was a childhood community theater. Sure. I mean, I, I I guess that answers the question to the letter of your question. Um, but you were interested enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I performed in a in like regional community theater uh, plays and did some in high school, a little bit in college so i just was in some musicals and stuff like that but at that point it was because i was being accessed as a singer by the by the time i had made it halfway through high school like my my dice were cast in terms of being a musician I got you. that that's where i was going and so when i did do theater projects in college it's because it was a musical and somebody said get the guy who can sing um when you guys were a band just touring pre-youtube and videos and stuff what kind of music you said andrew wrote a lot of songs what were like your musical influences what kind of style would you guys usually do um that was like trying to find a middle ground between what i liked to play as a keyboard player and a singer where i like to play kind of uh roots soul and um kind of blues influenced keyboard licks and stuff like that and for me, it was like, let's do Otis Redding and Sam Cooke. And for Andrew, who was this like um, just sensitive singer-songwriter guy, he wants to do John Prine uh, and Tom Waits or something. So it was like a, a folky songs as being realized by um, like a soul band. So I'd, I'd kind of be doing the arrangements and and driving kind of the feel of the song. So it ended up with uh, a sort of like a blue-eyed soul take on folk songs. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I saw you guys, I saw one of your Christmas shows. I don't think it was last year. I think it was the year before at Rockwood. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. And Andrew sang one of the saddest songs. I mean, it was a great song, but it was one of the saddest songs I'd ever heard. It was, I think it was called New Year's Eve. Um, and it was yeah. about, you know that song that I'm talking about? Yeah, New Year's Eve. That's an original by him. Yeah, yeah. I figured. No, and it, when you said John Prine, I was like, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. John Prine, you know, guitar sad beautiful totally but, you know we, yeah we've done that christmas show for I know, 10 years in a row i think at, at rockwood just doing something for charity we did it for the bowery mission for several years and the, but it really was just a, a way 
for us to kind of keep performing where we we really gave up touring and performing in favor of staying in the studio and doing videos all the time but this was one thing that we basically didn't have to practice for that much because you just don't forget the christmas songs over all all those years and um we could set it up pretty easily and it's just so fun to pack in 200 people to the rockwood and get super cozy and have some drinks and uh, play songs that make you feel good but also we would have kind of like a comedy angle on it where we do like a radio play at the end yeah no, that was great saw some of that yeah I, I know andrew has done a, an actual john prine at that show before where he did christmas in prison oh yeah but but uh <laughs> perfect which, yeah that's the uplifting one yeah. uh, as you can tell by the title <laughs> but his song new year's eve is i really love that tune it's yeah um but that's a that's a song based on a true story it's right. like you know he didn't make that one up it's he literally said at one point the the first line of the song is i would like to apologize for new year's eve and I, that's a direct quote from his life to an ex-girlfriend <laughs> oh, I think, yeah. oh really yeah. but do you want to give away what he is apologizing for isn't this the through line of the song that he said i love you and sh- it didn't go well or something yeah basically i think there was like a broken relationship and then he saw the girl at a new year's eve party and it's like the oh. most romantic party mm. You know, it's that time of the year. Gotcha. Feelings are flowing. Right. And like as the ball dropped, basically, he smooched her on the lips and said, I love you. And it's like everything went south. And oh, that God. was not the right thing to say. And she's not in the same place. Oh, and with God. terrible results. <laughs> and you can, yeah, exactly. Oh, man. You can figure out how that went. Um, all right. Well, here, I want to play just a little bit. I'm not going to do uh, the C SPAN thing where we just literally play entire songs and then talk about them but i do <laughs> want to give an example this is one of your earlier your guys's earlier auto-tune the newses in um primarily about smoking lettuce now this was a real i mean since there's no video accompanying all we should explain this was a real speech a guy i think steve booyer correct was giving on the f- floor of congress sure. about how i what, what what was the point what were they what was he against um were they trying to like impose? You know, let's think laws? back. This, yeah, this was back in 2009. So it was it was about it was de- there was a year long debate before the Affordable Care Act, and this was some component of that oh. de- debate about what regulations are going to go into. And specifically, he was against regulation on uh, nicotine, and his essential argument was uh, it's not the nicotine that kills you in cigarettes. So why should we be regulating this? It's the smoke. You're breathing in smoke. It's no more harmful if you were to smoke a cigarette than it would be if you just lit a head of lettuce on fire and smoked that. And that's not something you just made up on the spot. He actually used that argument, that exact argument about smoking lettuce. (laughs) And so here, it starts right in the middle. We just have a short, well, it's about a two-minute cut, but here you go. This is some of their earlier work. It features people like Joe Biden, Rachel Maddow, Steve Booyer himself, Katie Couric, and the like, as well as the Gregory Brothers themselves. Yeah, we the promised land, a sacred place, getting blessed by Joe Biden from space. God bless America. God bless America. God bless, God God bless, God bless America. Do you realize if you were to take that lettuce, dry it, and roll it, and smoke it, I know it tastes like goat shit. You smoke your lettuce. Believe me, I tried. You're going to end up with similar problems than if you were smoking tobacco. I know for sure you should try it with tomato, burning salad, and throat. Steve Byer, warning complacent Americans about the risks of smoking lettuce. You can warn me all you want, but you'll never stop my leaping green fetish. It's not the nicotine that kills. It's the smoke, the smoke. 
hundreds of applications for just a single opening. One man sent a shoot to his respective employer. Shorty, don't you know that Air Jordan was for me? I wore a long white dress and white hat and on shrooms? Though you're singing about pimping on the late night news. Katie, cool, baby boo, you got swagger like a star. Don't stop, real talk, we gon' take it to the charts. You can be, I can be, we can be. Dropping rhymes like rain, you can be, I can be, bringing on the full game of life, they had some pipkins. All right, so that was actually Evan duetting with Katie Couric. Uh, one of my finest moments. Thanks for highlighting that. Now, Katie Couric, I don't know if you've ever heard her podcast, but she will sing on it, and she sounds worse than that. <laughs> I mean, not, you know, and she knows. She does it as a joke. But um, I, she must love that. I mean, celebrities do sometimes reach out to you guys. You guys did something for the Oscars, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Um, I mean, it's been a few years ago. It was it was the year that uh, Anne Hathaway and James Franco were oh, hosting the best the best one. Yeah, from a critical standpoint, maybe an ill fated year, but they had <laughs> but they had some fun. So so we were invited to do, uh, you know, basically a, a video segment that that rolls in the middle of the the thing. Ah, um, that must have been a huge thrill to get that call. Oh yeah, it was who ama- called? Yeah, it was amazing. Um, it was producers from the. Okay. From the Oscars telecast, and originally we were supposed to write a musical segment where we would have kind of videos playing in our own idiom that have been turned into a song Mm. that are supposed to be arranged into a duet with James Franco and Anne Hathaway, who would then be kind of singing and interacting with him. Uh, What happened? Well, it's (laughs) just, it was, I mean, that's such a complex premise uh, that basically the whole. It, we couldn't pull it off. Right. I mean, we were able to deliver what we were supposed to do, but to ask the host to like learn this like complex timing and all that stuff, it, it wasn't working. So we did a standalone thing, which went over really well, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's something you guys. I mean, I'm surprised they haven't called you again yet. They will. I'm sure they will. <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> one, you know, one, of, one of these days. C-SPAN, the Oscars, they're just waiting for the right moment. Um, so after that, it re- I think it was after that, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was actually a few months after that C-SPAN interview and your earliest Auto-Tune the News videos that you guys really broke through with the ever-famous Bed Intruder song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, end of the summer 2010. Ah, yes. Yeah. All right, and here's this is just a one-minute clip of that song. I'm sure you'll recognize it if you don't. By name. He's climbing in your windows, he's snatching your people up, trying to rape them, so y'all need to hide your kids, hide your wife, hide your kids, hide your wife, hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your husband, cause they're raping everybody out here. You don't have to come and confess, we're looking for you, we gon' find you, we gon' find you, so you can run and tell that, run and tell that, run and tell that, oh boy, oh boy. Really, 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 really 
I was attacked by some idiot in the project. So dumb, so dumb, so dumb, so dumb. He's climbing in your windows, he's snatching your people up. Trying to rape them, so y'all need to hide your kids, hide your wife, hide your kids, hide your wife, hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your husband. Cause they break the damn body out here. Okay, so how did you guys first come across that footage of Antoine Dodson giving the interview on his local newscast? Uh, to answer that question, I really have to describe what YouTube was like at the at the time, which is totally different than it is now in terms of the the, the scale of the site was uh, completely different. And if you went to YouTube.com, you just saw kind of thumbnails of videos that people were watching that that day, and it's it's somewhat more. Um, nuanced now where if you were to go to youtube.com you're getting served things that are really recommended especially for you right as opposed to just a survey of what is being watched at that moment and the day after uh, Antoine Dodson gave his faded local interview uh, in Huntsville Alabama you'd go to youtube.com and there'd be maybe 50 thumbnails in front of you 48 of them were him the interview had blown up to such a degree and was such a viral phenomenon that every popular video on the site was not just the original interview, but dozens of ripped copies of it, people reacting to it, talking about it or whatever. It wasn't just viral. It was hugely viral and was like the only thing being talked about. So at that time, we had already done uh, auto-tune the news like the smoking lettuce clip that, that we played earlier. And we had our own kind of little audience. And to us, we had already kind of broken viral. But in the in the Wild West forum of the internet and and burgeoning remix culture as it was at, at the time, we still felt like we were a drop in the bucket of um, people contributing things to viral phenomenon or, to, or memes. And we had an audience that would bring stuff to us and we were overwhelmed with requests for, have you seen this interview? And of course we already had, but have you seen this interview? Please make a song out of it. Um, so, so we did. And then very quickly we saw that our song was becoming not just a drop in the bucket of this viral thing that was happening to the interview, but our song was becoming the biggest part of it. It was becoming most of the, the bucket, which was, I, th I think of a, a first that this ancillary product, our remix, our our songification of our auto tune of the interview was becoming as big or bigger than the original thing, and then we got into kind of a kind of a strange place that we really hadn't been before, where it was like, okay, um, we need to get a hold of this guy. We need to be talking about this because if our thing is bigger than his, like, what kind of ethical gray area are are we in? Uh, he doesn't have any control over um, how people are perceiving him. Most people are laughing him and thinking of him as a as a joke, and which I think we could probably talk about this for hours, but I think that's really a misunderstanding of what he presented in the interview. We'd probably have to even watch the original to 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 really understand. But most people were laughing at him for the way it seemed he was kind of saying silly things in the context of a serious interview, whereas... You can't see in the original interview that uh, Antoine and his family had called the local news because they weren't getting attention from the police uh, over this incident and an attempted assault at his home. Um, so then it was an attention-getting scheme in the first place. Right. So anyway, um, as, as our song uh, kind of uh, took off, 
part of the reason that it did, I, I think or I hope, was that it sort of amplified his message and distilled it down into this like sing-alongable, repeatable chorus that people could like adopt as their own. Yeah. Um, so fast forward a bit, we eventually got a hold of him and sort of went into business together and decided like, okay, well, we could just take the song part of this out of the video and we'll just sell it. It, it sort of caught fire and, and became the first song that we're aware of to cross over from a YouTube origin onto the Billboard Hot 100. Right. And became a hit that kind of crossed over into mainstream culture there for a few weeks. Well, yeah, and when you say it became the biggest, it became bigger than the original video. I mean, I'll say, I, yeah, by a long shot. I mean, at this point, it has just under 136 million views, the video. Uh, it was YouTube's most popular video of 2010, entered the Billboard Hot 100, which is, un I mean, that's unbelievable. I think it peaked at 89. Uh, has It's garnered all kinds of awards, including the 2011 Comedy Award for Best Viral Video. And in 2012, it became a certified gold record. <laughs> now, is it safe to say that that song and video kind of was a turning point for you guys, kind of changed all of your lives? Um, yeah, I yeah, I think that is safe to say in the sense that but before that, we had already had enough of a, a glimpse that we could be doing this full time. We could be m working on YouTube, making music in this new video medium. So we were, we were already putting our energy there. But then the Bed Intruder song was uh, big to a, a new order of magnitude, you know, 10 times, 50 times bigger than Autotune the News was. And it broke us out to this huge, wide audience, many of which s saw that and then subscribed to us or followed us and became part of our kind of recurring audience. So both we, we both gained um, a, a larger regular audience of, of fans that were dedicated to us, but also got our name out there associated with this uh, enormous hit that was now kind of part of our history so to speak if if it weren't for the bed intruder song then we wouldn't be asked to do a segment on the oscars just for example and there's right. untold other things that have come since then well so we were talking about this a little bit earlier but i've actually had the privilege of seeing that song performed live i saw it at the uh 2011 webby awards and that was with you guys and antoine really the whole the whole group um, and it was, I mean, it was really cool to see, but obviously Antoine doesn't live or tour with you guys. Neither do, I mean, a lot of your big, big viral videos involve some people who were either just caught on a local news interview or something like that, who probably you don't see that often. With that in mind, how do you go about performing those songs live when on the road or in concert? Or do you, or do you just leave them out? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, I mentioned earlier that we really don't perform anymore because, because unlike a conventional band we we found that um touring just wasn't giving us the return in a sense that just being in the studio and working online when your audience is online we have to go to them as a as opposed to in the world of recording records and and selling tickets where you have to find your audience at their local venues uh every time so we really don't um uh, tour much in, anymore but we do do one or two kind of big festivals every year that are um uh, either put on by YouTube or or sponsored. The the biggest one is in California called VidCon, um, and there's some others. But anyway, the 
it's by necessity that we would perform our YouTube videos. So that was a tough nut for us to crack. How how do we perform them? And eventually what we settled on is um, we're going to play along with the videos as if we're duetting with them. Um, not only would it be prohibitive to get all of the unintentional singers, mm -hmm. as we call them, out to a show, but none of them are singers. That's the whole point. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> is, that, is that they sang unintentionally right <laughs> and were rendered into song so so what we would do is we would render a version of our track that has their voice singing and then we would play all the instruments to play the music from the track live and then we would be singing a duet with the unintentional singer who's appearing in the video on like a jumbotron or whatever oh, next, next to us cool um so that the whole song is being played live and we are singing in sync with them and also just playing with like a rock band so it feels like a fun live show that's a lot of work i mean isn't that a lot of work it, it is it, it really is a lot of work to kind of set up right and then once you have the pieces in place it's not that bad you it's about the same amount of energy as to play some like complex sure. song with a with a rock band but right. yeah the setup is like a little onerous yeah now the ben tudor song and antoine dodson in particular i've read that like that song didn't just change your guys's life but he was able to take the money made from that song and buy his family a new house, give them out of the neighborhood in which that original story took place. Do you guys still talk to him? I mean, like, or actually, I guess what I should ask is, are you guys, do you have that kind of relationship and generous relationship with every unintentional singer? Um, yeah, I guess the short answer is yes. We're not, we're not in a close relationship with everybody, but, but um, we do talk to most people with some frequency. And Antoine is still here from um he's working out of school now i think but um yeah like the double rainbow guy his mm -hmm. name is paul we talked to him quite a bit um and uh essentially we we just settled on this idea er, early on that we, we were sort of breaking new ground in the sense that like there's no formula for how a, a royalty or a business relationship right. would work with something like this and whereas the first couple times we did it we were just a part of like the gunslinging YouTube crew that would go out and meme anything. And that then once we realized all of a sudden, oh, we're kind of the biggest guys doing this now, all of a sudden, we just changed our attitude. And now we go out and we seek people out and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this. We really like your video or this interview or whatever. Mm -hmm. And behind the scenes, we do try to build that relationship first and not um, step on toes. So, so once we do have that contact, then we just kind of blanket say, hey, there's no rule about this. It just feels right to us that we would split this down the middle. Right. We're going to make a video. You're going to be in it. And then we'll go sell the song and split the proceeds from the song. Um, that is pretty generous of you guys. I mean, like, I, I know there are other people who actually make YouTube videos out there who never who wouldn't even think to do that. You know what I mean? They'll just take whatever footage, use it, and then it's, they think of it as theirs. Totally. And the, and that that's a whole other, you know, discussion for cultural theorists or something, but it it really in my mind is is less about what the law it's certainly not about what the law says. It's hardly about what is right or wrong. It's really just about what tools are available to you as a person who wants to make stuff. People see um, videos on YouTube not as intellectual property so much or as a representation of the person on the other side of the video, but just as an asset to be like manipulated um, like, a, like a sample in a song or 
uh, or whatever. So it's it's really more about do you have do the software tools that you happen to have on your laptop do this type of cut or that type of manipulation? Then that's what you're going to do to a video, and has it has nothing to do with whether you have the right to or right. or not. You know, you just do it. Right. Well, and you were talking about having the fact that you guys are all musicians. You toured together before YouTube ever existed, and but your audience has grown so much with these YouTube videos. So I would imagine going out on the road, which I know you don't do much anymore, but when and if you did, I can just picture people want, I mean, who are familiar with your videos coming and being like, sing this, you know, auto-tune the news, sing that one. And who knows if you guys have prepared for that one. Like you said, it takes a lot of prep for each one. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that could be get a little messy. But you do have, I mean, you guys do obviously expand out of that. And you've, even with the YouTube channel, you know, you guys have kind of broken away from just news and politics. And, um, for example, YouTube's Comedy Week, I think in 2013, mm -hmm. you could, they contacted you guys to write an original song to celebrate YouTube's eighth anniversary, which has become one of my favorites. It's I think it's just called History of YouTube, or at least that's what the video oh, says. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's not what I expected you to, to say. but <laughs> Oh, you, you guys have done multiple? Um, well, we just we did a couple of things that that week was they sort of they tried to put to, together this virtual event and called comedy week and you know behind the scenes they're reaching out to us and other comedians saying like hey can you guys just make sure you release a video that week so it can seem like a big event oh and so wow. they gave us some money to help make that happen basically. Uh, gotcha all right well i do want to play this is the song that they wrote specifically to celebrate youtube's eighth anniversary Could this be what I think it is? Yes, it is. Moment, moment, but before you click, think real hard before you do that. If you don't slow down, you could get whiplash. What'd you say? I was watching cute cats. And have you seen the one with the little girl's rat? Wait, hold up. Don't go too fast. Once you dive in, you can never turn back. Life will never be the same. Now that I've seen chocolate rain. And I never knew a goat could scream like that. Oh, the simple pleasures of a pop You might start small with a laughing baby Then you end up singing with Carmen, maybe They just learned trigonometry And how to put big manilas on your knees People share their lives person than a tender Or they just stuff things into a blender Life won't be the same again Now that I can recall all my friends And I never even do the fantasy Or how my eyebrows should be tweezed Um, could you guys keep it down in here? You've been singing for five years, and there's some others who would like to use this room. So there you have that <laughs> original. That see, and I it does stand out to me for various reasons. One of them is the fact that there's no videos. I can't hear any auto tuning either. So it's really an original song with your voices and your writing. You know, the writing and the scene and all that stuff. Did you want to? So that was actually never on your guys's channel, right? We we uh, wrote the song 
then shot the video and just gave it to YouTube. Right. And they released it on their own channel and it was we had, you know, written it obviously as an homage to the many wonderful things you can find on YouTube. And I imagine they might they probably reached out to a number of really big channels. Um speaking of which, like do you guys ever I know you have collaborated with other YouTubers. BLR is a really popular channel, and they've actually gotten into some music. BLR is for bad lip reading. I, I don't know. I think it's original. Um, do you guys ever have you ever talked to those guys at all? I don't even know who they are, but you never yeah, see them. They're yeah. They are. Um, it's actually just one dude, and he uh, he's very purposefully an anonymous because he has kind of like another career oh. that is sort of si sincere, and he doesn't want to. Uh, what i'm Sully not I mean, he, what? Yeah, exactly he doesn't want to essentially come out and as this guy that does this very flippant thing i think that feeling may be outdated now because he's just so successful with bad lip reading I, it's just really hard to imagine right that someone in any field like looking down their nose at it but that's the way he feels and now there's a certain mystique to it but anyway we have met him and you know super cool dude there's there, there's really no reason we've never done anything together other than maybe we are just like a little too near each other in the, oh, you think? in the constellation of like weird channels of YouTube. Well, he does. So originally he just did the, the you know, funny lip reading, but he's gotten into like, does he write the songs, the original songs that are on that channel? Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, he's a really skilled musician. And I guess one of the things that make the bad lip reading videos so good are, is not just the lip reading itself, mm -hmm. but is actually the sound design of the video. That it really feels like you're in the environment of the original right. thing, yeah, which yeah. is uh, the type of thing that you don't notice. It's good when you don't notice right. it. Um, and so his, his skill in in design um, it is derived from like being a, a studio guy who's a, he was a really good mm -hmm. musician. So yeah, his original songs are amazing. You mentioned Andrew. So I know Andrew actually is a songwriter. He also taught songwriting. So do all four of you write music as well? Like for your original songs, is it a total collaboration or does it kind of fall within one person's wheelhouse more so than others? Um, yeah, yeah, we all contribute and write. We certainly have different strengths. Um, you know, I'm more on the composing and, and arranging side. Mm -hmm. Michael really likes, well, My Michael will, will do both sides of it. Andrew is like really lyrics forward and will he will write on the guitar and really work on the poetry and then Michael and I will like come in and like totally reset the the music to be in like a different genre or idiom or so or something like that. And that doesn't bother I mean like some musicians I know are very like by the letter of the note like you know if you miss it it's if you mess with it they're like what are you doing? You yeah. know, it's very offended. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> That's probably a benefit of working with your brothers as well. Right. Oh, we can certainly get offended by it in terms of like, oh, I was really married to that one thing. But we'll, but we've gotten used to it. And you just have to bite your tongue for a few minutes while it stings. <laughs> and then if you live with the new version for a little bit, then it's then it starts to feel good. And then you open your mouth and are free to talk about making right. the, the a constructive comment for you know the third version right right so okay so i want to play another song and it's one that i think it might surprise you i it's for what i can tell it's slightly less i don't think it has as many million views as some of the others um but it has always stood out to me for some reason and we'll talk about it right afterwards i'm not looking for a a colony on the moon uh i know how to win S senator why do you think you're the best most qualified most likely to beat president obama when you look on this stage under all these bright lights, you just see some guys that you don't really like at all. 
Grow some balls when you choose tonight. If you vote for me, you'll be doing the country. A really, really big favor, trust me, you can thank me later when I legalize everything. I can guarantee you'll be much, much more happy with me. I can satisfy all your needs for shady activities as you please, like prostitutes and drugs, bandits and drugs, automatic weapons, exposing your erections. It's high time you vote for Einstein. I'll legalize everything, euthanizing old people, motion bald eagles, I'll fire the regulators off his message toilet paper. It's high time for Einstein. I'll legalize everything. God's favorite nation. Live like the founding fathers did and never have to bother with laws against anything. He can guarantee you'll be much more happy and free. Constitutionally. If you want to see tyrannies of minds realized, we should legalize. Public urination. Check. Without taxation. Yep. By in the election. Exposing our erection. You got it. It's high time. You vote for Einstein. I legalize everything. everything. Extreme religious sex. Interspecies sex. If you're wondering how I spell those, then you'll just have to guess. All right. Now, when, to see my oh, right. Hello. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, okay. So when I hear that song, I can't help but think of musical theater. Um, and re- oh, it's aggressively musical theater. I, absolutely. And when I think of like, given how performative your guys' videos are and the various characters you guys have created, such as Junkie Einstein, who's prominently featured in that video, I have to wonder, and I do wonder, have you guys ever considered writing a musical? E- yes, yes, strongly. In fact, the tune you just played, basically, we saw as a jumping off point for a feature-length musical. Really? Yeah. That's, I think yeah. I even might have commented on that video being like, hey, have you guys ever <laughs> thought about writing a musical? I, like, you guys should, I mean, really, because if Andrew's written plays and stuff, you guys are set for the Tonys. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Well, really, I mean, like. Very generous of you to give us a Tony <laughs> in advance. But um, You're thinking about writing a musical? Tony. Y- yeah, it's something that we, we really can't, um, we have to pitch it in the wastebasket now because the election that we've just been through is more, mm. more farce than we could really write. But um, we did after we put out that video, legalize everything. We developed a whole feature-length treatment and wrote skeleton versions of a handful of other songs that would comprise a, a feature-length of like a full-length Broadway musical, um, kind of in the, in that style, depicting a. Um, kind of off the rails presidential campaign where these like hyper caricatured uh, people would come in, Junkie Einstein being one of them, and kind of take the, the campaign into uh, new directions. The, the joke being that everything that you would think would sink the campaign only further endears his, his fans to him. Oh, fast forward. That is what actually happened <laughs> to us and our and our nation. Yeah. So if, well, if only we had gotten it together in 2015, we would have been seen as pressure. The musical would have flopped. But then as 2016 unspooled, it would have been seen as prescient. But now it's just too painful. Yeah. Junkie Einstein probably would have been a better president. And if we released that same musical in 2017, this unwritten sort of half-baked musical, it would be seen as boring. That sucks. Had you guys really put in like a lot of work and it just had to be canned? 
Yes. That sucks. That really <laughs> sucks. Can any of the songs be like reworked and maybe fit into another plot line or? I, th- I think so. And there's probably untold number of musicals that that happened to. Like, yeah. okay, we're canning this whole thing. Just take the great love song and put it in a different love story. <laughs> right. Right. So maybe maybe we'll try to do that. Your we'll... songs, if the, if that was the the plot, well, God, what a nightmare. Um, well, that's no, I think a lot of people will be excited to hear that you guys are even interested in that, not to mention actively in the process. Or... Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's, it, it takes a lot more than just like three dummies sitting around writing the songs like the you know the amount of energy to go into actually executing the play sure. is m- more than we're able to to bring to bear but but we would love to revisit the idea of a musical yeah it's funny you mentioned like three dummies sitting around because one thing that's always stood out to me about your guys's videos in particular is the fact that they are there is a lot of musicality that go- that goes into them a lot of which like you were talking with blr videos a lot of the great parts of the production value are things that people don't notice and that's what makes them great like a lot of your arrangements like the happy sad songs and stuff i think the musicality and the fact just the fact that you guys have that skill to begin with i think is something that plays into your guys's success almost unnoticeably probably to most of your fans and one of uh, my favorite my favorite renditions of a song that you guys did is this one and actually feature i think it's just you singing but the video is you and your wife sarah Don't you dare look back Just keep your eyes on me I said you're holding back She said shut up and dance with me This woman is my destiny She said Shut up and dance with me Victims of the night, the chemical, physical, kryptonite, helpless to the base and the fading light. Oh, we were bound to get together, bound to get together. She took my arm. I don't know how it happened. We took the floor and she said, Oh, don't you dare look back. Just keep your eyes. On me, I said, You're holding back. She said, Shut up and dance with me. This woman is my destiny. She said, You get up to a high A flat. It's on an ooh, which is a very hard vowel to sing. I was wondering if he, if you ever thought about or have sung any opera or want to go and become an opera singer on the side. <laughs> <laughs> the, as as far as I know, an opera singer is not the type of thing you can take on on the side. Yeah, but, well, or, you know. <laughs> um, but I I did uh, I didn't major in voice in in college, but I did study some um, and. I, we we were talking about how uh, so it can in in the case of this song I literally am playing a character but there's some usefulness to not taking yourself too seriously when you're trying to put that much energy into performance and think of it as an impersonation uh, and it it gives you some license to open up and sing louder 
push yourself harder and do something a little bit sillier. And so, so overreach what you expect to be able to do. And then that's when you start hitting the high notes. Right. And I think that, I mean, one of my friends from high school actually majored in film at Chapman University in California. He's now singing opera on the Met at the Met. He's one of the, like, he's gotten one of the most amazing tenor voices I've heard. But I think what made him so much better, he had this carefree attitude. He knew he wasn't going to study voice. He didn't want to study voice. He didn't really care how he sounded. And that freedom, uh, you know, gave him, allowed him just to open up and sing, sing out and whatever. And I imagine playing these characters, you know, whether you're doing it in the studio or on the video, that must, that has to help, you know, in terms of like, if, if nothing else, distract from the difficulty of singing a high note and whatever. Do you even, I mean, do you... Because I know you sing all sorts of styles. I saw at the Christmas show you guys were singing like really soulful stuff and yeah. just rocking out. Yeah, I mean that, that's the that's the stuff that comes more naturally to me. I love to just like belt out the the soul and jazz s- stuff, but the operatic stuff um, is in in a sense the the beltiness of it when you're singing that like high baritone borderline mm-hmm. tenor stuff. It it does share a thread of character to like the the soul belters that in order to get the right character to their singing they have to live in that high register like it doesn't work if, if they're if they're not there an, an opera singer once uh described it to me with this word squealo are you familiar with it squealo it's, it's yeah <laughs> and i i uh i hesitate to suggest at the risk of offending uh, your many many opera fans that are out there i hesitate to suggest that this is an official term but as it was described to me it was this kind of like uh, intangible buzz that is at the top of your range when you're projecting that sound that like rings out to the back of the sure. opera hall, and that's what the singer is striving for in operas to get that. The, you thought this would sound. offend people? Yeah. How, how, yeah. I thought you were going to say uh, something like "sing from your crotch" or but, something. I, yeah, <laughs> you know, which is something I've actually heard voice teachers say. But I, but I think it's important to point out that not everyone has, you know, anyone can get on a get on camera and pretend to be an opera singer or whatever but not everyone has the capability to do it like when you're singing that that is sung very well oh thanks well really i mean you know i think it's worth noting for all your casual fans the oh, man, uh, i appreciate it it's, it's funny because I, I i don't have the technical knowledge of a singer's instrument so to speak to even uh pass that on or, or talk about what it takes because the for what limited period i did study classical voice i had this teacher who was of the school uh, that it's it's all intangible and has to do with how you're feeling sure uh basically and he was just he was this enormous sort of uh job of the hut shaped man <laughs> named Julian he's a professional opera singer uh. and had lost the ability over the years to speak quietly uh. just was always projecting <laughs> right. you know, even if you're in a small rehearsal room yeah yeah and he would just say you know like he would touch you on the stomach and he's like three times as big as right. you and he would say Evan <laughs> Evan Oh God! You have to feel it here, and you'd be like, "Yes, Satan." <laughs> uh, uh, well, hey, did he help you? Was he a good teacher? I, it's hard to—I mean, teaching voice is very difficult. I had a lot of at the Indiana. There were a lot of really successful opera singers who came out of there, and they'd come back to do like guest lectures and stuff. They were great singers. A lot of them naturally, so they would talk about being like, "Yeah, just do it." And it's like, well, not everyone can just do it. Yeah. You know, that's the whole point of being here. 
at music school. But you know, um, I know you gotta. Yeah, you have to get it back to your baby. So we'll wrap this up. But I know um, where... I'm having a blast. There's so many more songs yet to talk about. Yeah, no, definitely. If we went through your whole, I would love to go through your whole. Uh, this is the most catalog. indulgent interview I've ever had. You're so knowledgeable. Ever done it? Well, I don't want to. I know it's late. It's a hard time frame. Oh, okay. Yeah, you guys have had the opportunity to collaborate with a lot of cool people. Some of them YouTubers. Some of them not YouTubers at all. Some big names like Blondie, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and of course Weird Al Yankovic. Now he's another person who people, when they think of him, they think of novelty songs, and they think of like, oh, you know, he's kind of a, a fun. He sings funny songs. It's kind of a sideshow. He's a really, really great musician. He writes songs. He plays the accordion really well. He does the arrangements for his band. I think he's kind of underestimated a lot. How do those collaborations come about? Did you guys reach out to them? Uh, each each one of those collaborations came about in a in a different way. We we do not programmatically go out and do business development, so to speak, just like canvassing uh, the Hollywood Walk of Fame or or something. Nor do we ask like an agent to go out and call other people's agents. Weird Al, it's like we met him at a book signing or or something like that, and then he went out and got a slice with Andrew Michael or something like that. And then tragically, we didn't even get. To, he was supposed to come to our studio to shoot the video that he did with us yeah. in October, just a few months ago. Um, and his trip got canceled or something like that. So we did all of this legwork to make the shoot happen remotely. Um, our The chance meeting was a couple of years back. And we just oh, kind really? of stayed in touch um, as mutual fans. When we asked him to do this video, he said yes. His tri trip fell through. And so all of a sudden we were bending over backwards to like hire a crew in Los Angeles to shoot him on a green screen while we are Skyping into the shoot to kind of oh, direct him. Wow. Um, so the, that whole thing was coordinated remotely. Joseph Gordon-Levitt we met because a uh, guy who was producing his cable TV show, we met like backstage at a Comedy Central roast or Wait, some, something dumb like hit that. Hit record? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so kind of got to be friends through a mutual friend. And then we did some videos for his production company, Hit Record. Right. Um, and that's how we collaborated together. Blondie, I guess Blondie was the industry type of connection where their manager reached out to us. Blondie was the fan of us, which is weird oh, to say. That's cool. Yeah, very cool. They had just seen our videos and, and said we should meet. I bet there's a lot of those. Are you ever surprised to hear that so-and-so is a fan and you're like, holy crap, that's a big name. I think it's, uh, yes, very much. That does happen, and I think it honestly happens because we're not a big mainstream success. We are like the guys on YouTube that do this thing that is kind of smart and kind of kind of funny. Um, it's not, you know, prank wars or, or whatever. It's this very kind of specific, weird thing that's... Um, has a musicality to it. It has a political perspective in some of our videos. And so when people find our videos, especially our older ones, there's a little bit of a feeling of like, I found this unusual special thing. Like I want to share it with people. Um, and that's true whether somebody is a college student or a celebrity. They, they still have that feeling of like, Man, I found this really funny thing that I want to show people. But also you guys are, there have been, some imitators well not i don't know if i okay imitators but there have been some people who have done tried to do what you do but they haven't ha had as much success it's not as good and i think that's where kind of like the three of you teaming up and having all those musical backgrounds and skills that's where it really makes the difference um so it's not just that they're funny 
and catchy. I think the quality of the songwriting and the production with Michael's background and whatnot, I think that those little things are kind of what make all the difference. Uh, with the Weird Al song, I started listening to that in October. Then I had to stop listening to it ever again <laughs> because it made me so depressed. It's a song called Bad Hombres that features Weird Al as the moderator of a debate between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And here's just about 50 seconds worth of it so you know what we're talking about. I would work with our allies in the Middle East. That's the only way we're going to keep the peace. Okay. Muscle, muscle, muscle. So sad, so sad. It's a catastrophe. So bad, so bad. Can everyone achieve the American dream? Or should they sign up for my Ponzi scheme? We are going to go where the money is. All right. We are going to help small businesses. Our jobs are being sucked out of our economy. Now, our country is dying, dying, big three, big three. Why don't you run the show? We've got to do more. Tell us, cause we need to know. We need to get the drug lords. Who are we to be You get shot walking to the store. Who should really run the show? Donald got into a Twitter war. Wow. So, basically, um, I, Evan was telling me how they pre-wrote Weird Al's portion of that song. We're talking. We're talking about this right, while right. the song is playing. Right. I should just be telling. You <laughs> right, here. right. Uh, but the yeah, the inside sauce on on this video is that um, you know what, what you're listening to uh, is a remix or a songification, as we call it, of the final presidential debate between Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump. And we released it the day after the debate, and that I mean that was our goal going in to have this be like a response, that immediate. In, 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 immediate response that encapsulates what happens the night before. Wow. Um, both as like historical artifact and also because the next day people are going to be talking about that and want to see our video. But so in order to make it possible, I mean, it's a lot of work to make this thing come out. So you try to leave as little work as possible for that overnight between the debate and the release of the video. So we actually wrote all of Weird Al's parts, you know, a week in advance and had him record them in advance because you can highly predict what questions are going to be asked at the debate or at least in what areas and even how the candidates are going to respond, maybe to a lesser extent Donald Trump this year. But but you can still you still know what they're going to be for and against in in, in a certain way. So we could write Weird Al's stuff in advance. We had him record, shoot all of his stuff, we shot all of our stuff composed all the music, set up some of the effects. So then overnight, what we're doing is grabbing footage of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, tuning them into their own melodies and harmonies, and then composing it into one giant collage. But that, I mean, like, I know you guys have talked about how certain voices, speakers, uh, politicians, newsmakers, whatever, are easier to auto-tune and easier to work with than others. Joe Biden, John Boehner, those are easy to work with because they're very grandiose. They have these loud, singable voices. Sure, yeah. Donald Trump seems like he'd be really hard to work with to me because he kind of talks a little bit of monotone, kind of low key, mm -hmm. and he says a lot of stupid things. I don't know. It just is he hard to work with or not so much? Uh, yeah, he is. Um, the it's, essentially, it boils down to how how much is a person using their speaking voice like they would be using their their singing voice? Are are your vocal cords? operating in the same way as they would when you're, when you're singing. The, the, the shorter the journey we have to take them on from speaking to singing, the better. And Joe Biden, of course, is like the R. Kelly of unintentional singers. But, you know, Donald Trump um, is very much, not, he doesn't speak tonally in no. the same way that Joe Biden is always projecting right. and telling you exactly how he feels. 
Where as Donald Trump is kind of all up and down his range. It's very whispery. It's kind of like, look, it could be I, very whispery. Yeah, and it's not. There's not a lot of tone to it. It's kind of like, look, okay, I said this, I said that. There's not exactly what you're saying, you know, like Obama when he speaks, he's got a big projection voice. Blah, blah, blah. And you guys, that 1999 song is great. Now, one thing that Obama and Trump have in common is that they have two different characters to their uh, speaking voices, which is the interview version of themselves and the rally version of themselves. Right. Whereas uh, in an interview, Obama's very famous to, for being clipped and yeah. hyper-articulate, but Look. overly thoughtful with too many breaks in his speech. <laughs> Whereas, uh, uh, and Trump is liable to be, just like you said, uh, uh, dismissive and uh, yeah. up and down in his voice to uh, meander from one thought to the other. It's unbelievable. But, but both of them, when they get to a rally, are they're projecting, they're yelling, they're yeah. selling it to the crowds. They're like full of themselves. They're into it. Um, and those voices are that version of yelling is practically speaking. You're projecting at the top of your range, right. just like an opera singer would be. And then we can, uh, turn it into, you know, really soaring melodies. Right. Yeah. Like we need brain. Right. Well, in, so we need brain is a video we pulled from an early GOP primary debate. And we just set Andrew up as the kind of straw man moderator to kind of throw questions to each candidate and yeah. set them up to sing their own melodies. So, but back to the bad hombres, it's it would be hard, I you know, just in my imagination, to take a debate, just take two speaking voices, and write. You know, it's one thing to you know bend the pitches of their voices, but you're writing a melody. Are you writing a melody? I know, like with the Ben Truder song, you were writing a melody that you kind of heard just from listening to him speak. But with a Donald Trump and, frankly, Hillary Clinton, I don't hear a lot of melodies from their speaking. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you'd really have, especially if you'd already written Weird Al's portion, I mean, that must have been a real, like, you know, you have to be real precise and take all night, probably. Yeah, you, yeah, you do. <laughs> you have to literally take all night to do it. Yeah. Well, if you want it out by the next day, <laughs> in particular. Yeah, um, there were, you know, we would have written certain motifs into Weird Al's thing. They're like, okay, we're not going to make Hillary Clinton sing exactly that. But you can find uh, echoes of what Weird Al sang that, that sounds similar yeah. enough that it, w it would be re recalled and, and sort of ring in your ear. Right, right, right. Um, all right, well, that leads us up to your most current point can you tell us a little bit about a uh, song voyage oh yeah oh thanks for asking well yeah. uh so we just finished releasing this show called song voyage um which is a, a travel show where we went to um six different countries and produced one episode of the show per country and in each place we uh met a local musician and collaborated with them on creating some music together now i think when when i when I summarize it so concisely, I think it's it sounds um, like a pretty sincere travel show, and I, I think that's not that unique an I idea to go someplace and try to make music with someone you never met before. So I saw, I randomly came across like basically this the same premise in a cable show that was starring Sting, and it was like hyper sincere where he was sitting around playing music with you know some incredible instrumentalist from South Asia or, or something like that. And it was all, it was so very tantric in its, in its nature. Wow. Whereas our, our show is the opposite <laughs> of that. And it's basically like, pretend you're making a travel show and then go do sketch comedy with the travel show as the, as the vehicle. Jeez. So all, each, each of the songs that we made with uh, our collaborators are you know, intentionally send-ups or, or uh, a comedic take on some aspect of the trip 
or the instrument. And the whole show is about how we're kind of trying to make some music and just bungling it the, the whole time <laughs> because we don't know how to get around these countries that we're in. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you guys went all around the world doing this. Whose idea was this your guys? Did you guys pitch this idea or did they pitch it to you? Um, we were in partnership with a production company called Portal A that we had met making some kind of bigger music videos. Um, and the, they kind of reached out to us like, like, hey, we've worked with a lot of YouTubers and just felt like we really jived with you guys. Would you want to go out together? They felt like their strength was travel. So mm -hmm. that, that was um, in terms of setting up big productions in other right. countries and, and stuff like that. So they wanted that to be an essential element of the show and then of course our thing is music and we talked about how we could blend those together and, and make something that had our personality to it how was the was it a good experience yeah it yeah. sounds like it'd be i mean yeah, it, sounds... it, was, it was so hard honestly <laughs> it, was, it was really it was really difficult it was we to to be in mongolia and try to record a tuvan throat singer uh and like honor their culture and then find something funny about it and not offend anybody uh <sighs> And, Very organic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was it was really difficult, but honestly, we expected a lot of creative difficulties, and we we just, we didn't expect all of the like production difficulties. Um, Who? Which, what? What network was it? I thought it was. I saw. I thought I saw an ad for Comedy Central. No. No. The, this was. Um, it was produced by Maker Studios, which is a subsidiary of Disney, and they released it digitally, um, streaming on like Sling TV and. Um, some other outlets and then eventually on YouTube. So you can still see huh. it on our YouTube channel. We had kind of we had one hit sort of break out from the series, uh -huh. which was from the episode set in Japan. And the song is called Chicken Attack. So I encourage you to go check that one out. Yeah, definitely. Do you guys all live no, I assume you and your brothers don't live with you and your wife and kids. But you must live that is it is a great fantasy though. I, <laughs> well I'm, I'm sorry to say that we all have our own apartments at this stage in our in our lives but uh but you're i office, do like to imagine sometimes that we live in a dorm your office is gigantic it used to be a horse barn right or is that the old office uh no we are in a kind of warehousey space was that a now. joke i think i saw something on didn't andrew say i think andrew said that's real it seems oh. like a joke yeah we started out as a bedroom operation when right. andrew and michael did live together several years ago and we're just gotcha. like every youtuber or self-made whatever you're just doing it in your apartment right and then eventually we're getting sick of each other and and so we rented this sort of warehousey space and you guys have the whole space no there's other tenants we have like a whole floor, floor. and gotcha. it does seem pretty barney in there to well, be honest and especially i mean compared to underneath a bed when you guys used to film your videos, right? Like, <laughs> yes. yeah, it must be luxurious. Capacious. Really? Well, your quality from the very beginning to now has noticeably, I mean, the originals are great, but in terms of like the newest ones, you know, it really looks more and more like you guys are on the floor <laughs> of Congress each time. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, that's, it's, the, that's the goal. Yeah, you live and learn. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're self-taught in, you know, basically every way. So <sighs> the, the years have worn well in our green screening. Uh, aptitude well li do you guys have any other cool uh projects collaborations coming up that you want to plug um yeah we uh we have some really cool videos coming out with other youtubers but i, I um, don't want to spoil them. i'm not going to spoil those i will say that i mentioned the song chicken attack a moment ago one of the things that we're most excited about internally is that this song was a pretty decent hit in in east asia and so we went into partnership uh 
we were like, how can we capture some of that again? Because our our inherent audience mm-hmm. is not that. It's really just American. Right. So how do we reach those people again? So uh, I don't know if this will work, but we went into partnership with uh, a mobile game development company. Chicken Attack, look for that. Go uh, find the song. <laughs> Watch all of Song Voyage. And, all right, well, the last thing I'll ask you is something I think everyone, I don't even think you'll answer. I don't know if you can answer, but it's something I know people ask all the time. What does Shmoyoho mean? <laughs> does it mean anything? Or is it just a... Um, no, it really does not. We <laughs> we tried to answer that question very recently. We made a a, a video that was just the, a, a three-minute song about the word Shmoyoho. And, right. And we, and we said that it... Uh, the word Shmoyoho is... Anything uh, you want it to be. Everyone asks us what it means. It's just a reflection of your dreams. It shifts and changes with the wind, bends space and time with its every whim. That is gorgeous. That's Shakespearean. I wish I had that pulled up to end with, but I actually have pulled up, kind of going back to your roots, this is one of the newer auto-tune the news. I'm not sure if it's actually a part of the series, but it's... um. It involves news clips and uh, a new phrase in American culture, alternative facts, featuring, guess who, Kellyanne Conway, and many others. Who else is in this? Uh, I know Chuck Todd's in it. Yep, Chuck Todd's in it. Uh, We're featuring a friend of ours who's a YouTuber named Anna Akana that you'll probably hear at the top. Right. All right, well, thank you so much, Evan, for coming in. I know I've kept you here probably too long, and you got a sick brother and three kids to go back to, but we really appreciate it. And check out Shmoyoho Shmoyoho has its own channel. And so is the Gregory Brothers. That's right. And um, yeah, just follow them as much as you probably already are. All right, to take us out, here is Alternative Facts. Thanks, John. You bet. Our hands real. We're going to have to rethink our relationship here. Why put him out there for the very first time to utter a falsehood? You're saying it's a falsehood? They're giving alternative facts. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. Why did he do that? Alternative facts are much better than truth. Anything you don't like, you can substitute with a much better version of reality. Like right now, I'm on a boat in the Caspian Sea, sipping champagne while you count cash for me, making sure I got my eight-figure salary. Why? Alternative facts. Alternative facts. Alternative facts. Why did he do that? Alternative facts are not facts. They're false. Don't be so overly dramatic about it. Breaking yourself for a critical tweet. I cannot live in fear of a tweet. Tweet. We need to work for the people that we represent, not fear a tweet by the president. But don't you know that a tweet can kill? Look at what happened with Drake and Meek Mill. I cannot live in fear of a tweet. Tweet. Our relationship is built on mutual respect. Relationships between neighbors are complex. The last thing Canadians expect is for me to come lecture you on what's correct. Oh, that's how they do the Canadian Responsibility is to connect, project, and reflect, respect to the world. Messy. Dead people voting. Dead people voting. We should be aghast about the fact of dead people voting. You provided zero evidence. We could talk about it more in the future. Do you have any evidence? We know for a fact. Nobody disputes that. Zero evidence. The whole world will soon see the powers of the president will not be questioned. General Flynn addressed the full conference of the president. Breaking news, Michael Flynn has resigned. Two Iraqis were the masterminds behind the Bowling Green massacre. A massacre in Bowling Green ever happened. Did anyone in Trump's campaign have contact with Russians? Absolutely not. Not new allegations of connections to Russians. Quiet, Russia is fake news. Quiet, quiet, quiet. I'm sorry, I spoke in millions of words on TV. So many words. I know what it's like to have all the haters descend upon me. So many haters, yeah, when you're on TV.
you say in so many words You can't help but drop a couple little turns But if it smells bad, you should just relax And spray the Febreze of alternative facts Alternative facts Tell people about Alternative facts This was the largest inauguration Period In the history of our nation You're listening to The Next Best Thing right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight. And it's just about midnight now. Yes, our time for this week is just about up. I want to thank Evan Gregory again for coming out to the studio tonight and spending so much time with us. Very generous of him. Check out their, check out everything they do. Check out their uh, YouTube channels, Shmoyoho, S-C-H-M-O-Y-O, as well as the Gregory Brothers, two separate channels. They're always posting funny, cool, musical, catchy, awesome new videos and whatnot. Also contribute to their to their success go to their patreon uh patreon page and contribute if you can in fact speaking of which go to our patreon page and contribute to us we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported if you like what you hear tonight well a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that uh if you feel so inclined, you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt. Again, that's rfb.nyc slash nbt. So, I'll leave you with this. Remember, apathy is the enemy. Apathy is the enemy. Get informed. Get educated. Care. Have an opinion. Take some action. For Radio Free Brooklyn, this has been The Next Best Thing. I'm John Lerner. Good night. J'ai vu New York, New York USA. 